Nexus PMG welcomes you to the Bigger Than Us podcast, which we as energy geeks lovingly refer to as the BTU. Bigger Than Us is a podcast that focuses on ideas that will shape the future of our planet and ultimately our existence. We will occasionally lean into energy topics because after all, it's the key to our collective survival, but we'll also explore other ideas and topics that we believe will have an impact that is bigger than us. And now, on to today's show. Hello and welcome to the Bigger Than Us podcast. I'm your host, Raj Daniels, and today I'd like to welcome Matt LeDuc to the show. Matthew David LeDuc, CEO of Forum Mobility, has 15 years of experience in the renewables business has overseen $5 billion in transactions in EPC, OEM, and long-term investments, and bountiful experience leading transactions for utility-scale solar, community solar, standalone storage, electric vehicle, fuel cell, and microgrids. Prior to becoming CEO of Forum Mobility, Matt was the executive director of NextEra Energy's distributed generation team, where he oversaw all greenfield origination, land acquisition, early stage development, and M&A. His team built the distributed generation pipeline to nearly $2 billion in owned assets. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm great, Raj. Thanks for having me on. I'm happy to be here. Matt, I am super excited to talk to you. I think, you know, you're the CEO of one of those companies that's what I like to call in the niches, best kept secrets, sometimes even boring, but for me, very, very exciting. But I'd like to kick off before we get to forum mobility with your background, BA in geography. Tell me about that journey and how it led you to forum mobility. Yeah, um, it's been you know, it's been a pretty circuitous route. Um, I, uh, I I grew up in the Bay Area. I was born in Oakland and grew up in in, in the North Bay and came from a family. Um, uh, my father was a, a labor foreman. My brother's a pipe fitter um, and. Uh, I, I happen to be pretty good at baseball, um, and so my um, my way into college was was to play baseball for the University of Hawaii, um, and uh, the geography degree was 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 the one I chose for better or worse, and the one that I got my degree in, um, and uh, I ended up you know, graduating and getting into construction uh, myself. Um, I worked some underground construction um, in Hawaii. Um, and then ended up getting a job installing solar panels um, about 20 years ago, actually, um, in, 20, uh, in 2003. Um, and, uh, and through a lot of twists and turns, um, ended up um, building forum mobility with my partners, um, getting into the investment side previously at NextEra, um, and just spending the last couple decades in the renewables business. So you said circuitous. I have a similar background undergrad in what's called nowadays interdisciplinary studies. I like to say I took the scenic route. Um, but tell me, like, from having a background in geography, has that influenced how you look at the world differently? Yes and no. I mean, I think I, I do think that the geography degree is underrated um, because it does think about, you think about demographics, you think about, you know, that's where the GIS software that we use in development kind of came out of geography and cartography. Um, and so I think that geography is the study of, of how we exist in the world, um, the physical world, whether it's 
um, the atmosphere and the physical geography and also you know, the population and the cartography. And where do you put the next hospital? Where do you put the next school? In our case, we have where, where, where do you put the power grid too? Um, it's all kind of how we as people interact with the planet. Um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, you know, I kind of candidly had aspirations to be a teacher and I thought it would be a good subject to teach and I was going to coach baseball. Um, but, you know, that didn't work out the way I thought it would. Um, and it has, it, ha it, 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 it was, it's not too dissimilar in some ways from now where, you know, I think that we as a business interact with a lot of different things in the world and, and we need to kind of know where we fit you know, with capital markets, with finance, with engineering, with truckers. Um, and I think geography kind of, uh, you know, again, it's 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 underrated in that respect, where you you kind of have to see how you interact with the broader world, um, and so I I suppose in some ways it did inform the way I look at things today. And speaking of interacting with the broader world, I spent some time around GIS majors back in two thousand eight. You know, we were just on the cusp of Google Maps, but can you share what GIS is and why it's become so important for us? Yeah, I mean GIS is 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 a way that you know you can you can essentially overlay maps of everything, whether it's you know the county, whether it's the parcel maps, the distribution maps, the roads, the streets, the sewers, the everything. You know, a GIS is 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 the layers and layers and layers of census tract data, um, and so on and so forth. So as you plan anything, um, in our case, I'll kind of give the the example of how we use it. We need to find um, parcels of land that are zoned industrial that are on substantial distribution or transmission feeders um, that are close to transportation corridors and a whole bunch of other attributes um, that we need to build the foreign mobility charging infrastructure. Um, we could either A, poke around in Google Maps in a whole bunch of ways and call brokers and hope we stumble across something that works for us, or B, we can use GIS and we can use the layers that we need to extract things like, is it in a disadvantaged community and therefore eligible for a tax adder? Um, and we can kind of create that layers and maps and voila, um, things pop up exactly the way we want them to pop up and we can identify and kind of save a lot of time identifying what we need. That same you know, GIS usage will happen for anything. Um, like I said, schools, hospitals, um, solar plants, wind farms, you name it. Um, everybody uses GIS to decide um, you know, essentially where to pursue or where to put something. Now, you've mentioned forum mobility a couple of times. Can you share what forum does and your role as the organization? Yeah, forum mobility um, is a company that uh, I helped start um, a few years ago. And forum mobility is, a, is on a mission to electrify heavy duty trucking. Um, and we specifically focus on something called drayage. Um, and drayage is a word that's not commonly used, but um, I guarantee you, your life is touched by drayage in some way. Um, and the drayage we're focused on is those containers that come on the back of cargo ships. They come into a port and they have to go from that port and they have to go to a distribution center. Um, and those are the lanes. That's the drays um, that, that run our containers out of ports um, out to your Amazon or Walmart or Wayfair or whatever distribution center um, your goods are going to. Um, and to put in perspective how much happens in drayage in California, Drage trucks drive about a billion miles a year um, in the state of California. There's 33,000 of them, and they all have to turn over to zero emission in the next 12 years by 2035. Um, and so Forum Mobility builds depots that are 50 to 150 plus trucks that can charge simultaneously. Um, 
we offer a charged truck at our one of our depots um, with the goal of making it competitive or beating the cost of diesel. Um, and so we give uh, all these tens of thousands of truckers an option um, to use third-party infrastructure and third-party capital um, to help make the transition from a combustion truck to a zero-emission truck. Now, depending on what you read and listen to, you hear a lot about the last mile, but we don't hear in, we don't hear a lot about what you're describing perhaps as the first mile. Can you share why? Yeah, the first mile is something I didn't know a lot about. Um, like you said, the last mile is very popular. The last mile is the one that shows up to your house. Um, and so when you get that Amazon package um, delivered to your front door, I think we all see that, we feel it, we're, we're, we're connected to it. What we don't see a lot of is that first mile that you're talking about. Um, and that first mile, like I said, is complicated. It is a very, you know, there's 33,000 trucks in the state of California that serve that drayage market and that first mile in addition to an immense amount of rail um, that also gets containers out of ports. But you know, the trucks that move those, um, that's tens of billions of dollars that is going to have to be transitioned over. And of those 33,000 trucks, over 75% of those trucks are independent owner operators, folks who buy second and third hand trucks. That's who's moving our containers. Um, this isn't big fleets of hundreds and hundreds of trucks under some big umbrella. A lot of these are just mom and pops who bought, like you said, second or third hand trucks. That's your first mile. Um, these are folks who have never had to finance things because they've always bought a used truck. Um, and now they're being kind of targeted first as the first transition of a very complicated new business um, in the zero emission trucking world. So first mile is it's big, it's complicated, it's got environmental justice considerations and economic justice considerations. Um, the economic justice, what I mentioned, you know, we have a lot of people running small businesses that are you know, mandated to, to, to get into a half a million dollar truck. The environmental piece of this is also really complicated because if you live next to a port, you have double the risk of cancer or double the risk of asthma. Uh, life expectancy in port adjacent communities is 14 years or more less than um, the state average in California. So it's a really complicated problem to fix in the first mile. Um, it's a lot of freight, it's a lot of movement, it's a lot of goods, but it's also really just a complicated economic and social and environmental justice situation. You know, it, I'm, I'm glad you brought up the, the topic of the idea of it being a very fragmented market. Quite often, again, general public, most of the time we hear about the large truck lines, the hunts, the JBs of the world, the recent demise of yellow, but I don't think the public has a real understanding of just how fragmented the market is when it comes to independent ownership. You mentioned 33,000 trucks. What percentage of that would you say is independently owned? 80%. 80%. And now they have this mandate that within the next, did you say 20 years or so, 2050? 12, 2035 in California, 20, every drain truck must be zero emission. So the mandate or the regulations that have been passed, have, has there been any economic support to this 80% of the market in, for, in it, to enable them to you know, renew or buy these new trucks? There has been. I think you know, Air Resource Board um, in California is the one that is um, in charge of executing this executive order to, to transition. And they've there are a bunch of incentives. There's the HVIP voucher, which is um, uh, it's a it's a it's a voucher that gives you between 150 and 175 thousand dollars off uh, of the MSRP of a truck. 
there's the low carbon fuel standard program that um, helps um, if you charge a truck with electrons, especially if those electrons are made from renewable sources, you get a carbon offset credit called the low carbon fuel standard credit. And those are traded in the market. There's programs called Carl Moyer. There's the California Energy Commission. There's we counted 27 individual programs um, in the state of California. And this is in addition to um, a lot of incentives that came under the IRA Inflation Reduction Act. Um, so there's there's a lot of things out there to support it. Um, ironically, those are a very, very hard to access in a lot of ways, um, uh, especially if you're driving a truck 12 hours a day. Um, and a lot of those incentives, candidly, just didn't think about the small fleet. Um, there aren't incentives to help you know create the loan loss reserves you need for small fleets um, in the state of California. Um, there isn't an insurance um, program. It's, we've had we've had small truckers want to get into trucks, but they can't actually get a, a, an insur insurance underwritten for them. Um, and so I think that the state has this mandate. Um, they've created a lot of programs. There are a lot of disparate programs um, that are relatively complicated to access. Um, and still yet, all those programs don't cover all the gaps that's going to enable any fleet to make the transition to zero emission. Now, is the mandate to go to zero emission or to lower emission? Is it to transition to electric or can they retrofit? It is zero emission. That is that is the mandate. That is the requirement. And I'll, um, it's even while well, 2035 is the mandate for all of them, that man, the mandate actually starts next year. Um, starting the 1st of January in 2024, um, trucks with a model engine 2011 or older are no longer allowed in the port. Um, and if your truck leaves the registry, there is a drayage registry in the, Cal the state of California, and it is too old or it has over 800,000 miles, it must be replaced by a zero emission truck. Um, and so that it is a, Raj, it is a very specifically a zero emission mandate, not low emission. Um, and it starts in about three and a half months, um, where if your truck leaves that registry, you, you cannot put another diesel truck on that registry. Um, starting next year, every new registry, um, every, every new truck registered on that is going to be a zero emission truck. So there's a manual kind of culling of the drayage fleet that is going to start happening in just a few months. If you were to guess, how many of these, of this 80% will leave the industry because of the new requirements? A lot, I think, Raj. I mean, I think that you have not only this requirement for zero emission, um, you also have... Um, something called AB5 in California um, that is the gig labor law that has also deeply impacted the ability of independent owner operators. Um, I, I think that unfortunately California is, is increasingly make it, making it more and more difficult um, to be an owner operator in the trucking business um, with zero, between zero emission and your AB5 compliance. Um, I think there's going to be a massive consolidation in the trucking business in the state of California. Um, and it's unfortunate in a lot of ways because these small businesses, um, are great. You know, we've, they've been, they've been great. They've put a lot, they put a lot of roofs over people's head. They put a lot of kids through college. Um, and I think unfortunately with the way things are going to go, you can't help but to see a, a pretty sig significant and substantial consolidation that's going to happen in California. And I'm thinking not only is from an employment perspective, but also 
you know, the demand for goods is not going to go down. And so if the number of truckers is reduced, then obviously the price of products is going to go higher, which we all have to carry the burden for. Yeah. And I think that, I mean, thinking about, you know, as my home state, as a native Californian, um, it's one of those things we got to think about as a state because um, we are already seeing um, steamship traffic routed out of California. Um, the ships that were coming into LA Long Beach today, um, there's also an ILWU um, uh, longshore um, labor negotiation underway. Um, we have high fuel rates here um, and we see a lot of cargo being routed to Savannah, to Houston, to Newark is now the largest container port in the US in just one year. Um, and so, yeah, I think that um, it's going to pass on and it's also going to just take some business out of California if we don't do it well and we don't do it right, which I think we can't. Like, there is a there is a great path to um, the transition of zero to zero emission trucking being accretive to the state and the ports um, and the people who want to move their cargo, who have their own ESG rules. We just got to make sure we do it right and we do it well, um, because I think it's also as much of as it could be a potential issue for the cost of goods and for the trucking community, like it's a hell of an opportunity as well for the state of California um, to get ahead and stay ahead in terms of how we move our goods around. So how did you and your team come up with the idea for foreign mobility and can you share the business model? Yeah. Um, I'm actually proud to say that the business model um, and the plan for foreign mobility has never changed. We, we made the company, we, we've made foreign mobility um, and incorporated it in May of 2021. Um, and what we set out to do uh, in May of 21 is exactly what we're doing today. Um, and the only thing that we stumbled upon literally is drainage. Um, we always knew that third-party charging infrastructure was going to be a massive and necessary thing to uh, achieve you know, the transition of zero emission, especially specifically battery electric. Um, I ran distributed generation for a great company called Nextera for a long time. Um, and I can tell you distributed generation, like on-site solar, on-site fuel cells, those things, like the greatest in, um, hindrance to the deployment of that is real estate. Um, most of the time the tenants have five or 10 year leases who want to do things and the building owners who own that building are not necessarily buying the solar uh, or the fuel cell power. The same thing was going to play out here. We are going to need a lot of charging, but doing this behind the meter or behind the fence in our case was never going to be the one size fits all solution. And that uh, we were going to need large charging infrastructure, whether it was for police cars or garbage trucks or school buses or you name it. You were always going to need a big depot somewhere and you were going to need to fill it with a lot of trucks or cars or whatever. Um, it wasn't until that summer of 21 that we came across drainage as this fascinating problem to fix and a really, really big one. How did fix. you come across it? Um, through just getting out and talking to people. Um, you know, we hired uh, a gentleman named Rob Kelly, who was a co-founder of a company called Ampli, which was one of the first charge management software companies out there. Um, and uh, he actually met a, a gentleman um, who's who's deeply involved in the port community named David Thornburg, who's still an advisor, um, a great advisor to us. Um, 
we kind of serendipitously stumbled into a meeting with a logistics company in Oakland. Um, and it was there, they, they explained to us these drage mandates. They explained to us that they had customers that wanted them to go zero mission. They're the cargo owners, it's called. Um, and we kind of got a quick one-on-one on drage in that meeting. Um, you know, again, we were just, we were just going to build a depot, fill it with chargers and see who we can get to come there. Um, but the more we kind of peeled back the onion of drayage, we peeled back the size of the problem, the complexity of the problem, the policy that was driving, you know, the mandates uh, to, you know, really force the, the customers to come to a solution as well. The more we just said, you know what, like, we're all, we're all really focused as personalities in general. Um, we don't like to go, I guess, wide and shallow. We like to go kind of uh, narrow and deep. And we decided at that moment that there was, you know, there was tens of billions of dollars of work to do in drayage. And if we got drayage right, we could get a lot of things right. There's no reason that foreign mobility can't um, replicate the business model that we have into, into other types of transportation, whether it's school buses or ferries or whatever it is. Um, but we really wanted to focus on drayage um, and we decided to dedicate the business to it at that time. So it sounds like a serendipitous meeting. It was a serendipitous meeting. And I think, you know, yeah. Again, I, I mentioned it earlier. Nextera is a great company, um, and I was really lucky to spend um, uh, a long time there and and do a lot of deals and spend times with a lot of folks. And you know, one of the things that Nextera was excessively good at always was staying ahead of policy. Um, they knew where the puck was going to go before it got there. Um, and you know, when I when I came across Drage, when I came across this, like you know, all these all these strategy meetings um, back in Florida that I sat in at next era kind of came flooding back. And I was like, you know, this, this is it, you know, you follow the policy, you follow the mandates um, and you try to get out ahead of it. Um, and I think we've done a really good job of doing that. And what's the business model? The business model is you build um, depots and you fill them with trucks and you turn all that capex that a trucking company was going to have to spend to do this themselves and all those incentives and you turn it into an opex. Um, it's not too dissimilar from what Sunrun did when they really commercialized the power purchase agreement in residential and commercial. Um, there was a time, you know, 15 years ago when a solar salesman would show up to your house and say, it's going to cost $25,000 for the solar and here's how you're going to make their, your money. Shortly thereafter, Sunrun showed up and said, you're paying 18 cents a kilowatt hour. How does 14 cents sound? Um, our business model is very similar. Um, there are trucks, there are LCFS credits, there's chargers, there's programs, there's grants. Um, it's a very complicated um, business to figure out how you're going to beat the cost of my, per mile of a diesel truck, um, which is avoided cost in this case. And we do that, um, and we do that at scale um, in a way that we can we can scale up our infrastructure, we can scale up our staff, we can scale up our buying power, and we deliver that. We deliver a truck that's fully charged at one of our depots, um, and the goal is to you know beat the cost of diesel by as much as possible. Now I know there's an adoption curve for almost all technologies. You probably have a few early adopters that are willing to try out the technology, but the broader market, you know, usually the late adopters, laggards, how are you talking to that community? I, I've said this a long time uh, that, you know, and what you're talking about is, you know, customer acquisition and customer outreach. And I think that the peak 
the peak interaction you can have with a customer is when you become their advisor. Um, if you kind of work your way down, like you know, the, the peak is the, is the advisor. Um, the level below that is you're a solutions provider. The level below that is you are a vendor and account manager. We want to stay away from being vendors and account managers. Um, and so the way we approach these, these companies are, you know, the, the laggards, if you will, or the people who are, are slow to adopt, um, they know they have to do this. They don't know if they're going to try to do this themselves at their warehouse or if they're going to come to a form mobility. Um, and our approach with them is to serve as their advisor um, in this and to um, give them kind of the, the facts, whether it's a forum solution or otherwise, that's going to help them make that transition or help, help them make the decision of when to make that transition. You know, again, back in California, we have this advantage of the mandated transition that isn't going to occur. So a lot of folks that want to take their time might not be able to um, because they still need to have trucks running. They still need to fulfill their customers' needs. Um, and so um, I think a lot of the people who would be laggards are being forced to be early adopters. Um, and in any case, we want to be advisors to them. And I love that model of you know being an advisor and then a solutions um i think you said a solutions provider is that correct yeah there's been a lot of talk about electric trucks battery life you know the weight of the truck can you share some light into perhaps information that we might not be aware of yeah i mean i think that um the weight of the trucks is um is a problem um yeah and that they're about five to seven thousand pounds however it's it's a it's a it's a problem that it's going to get fixed. It's good. It could get fixed on the policy and it could get fixed with, you know, um, the new battery technologies out there. Um, I think what's really important is that as we are getting into the, the second generation of equipment, I think like I remember back when I first started solar first generation equipment had its fits and starts. Um, today, second, we're on the second, third, fourth, fifth generation of a lot of equipment and, and, and solar and wind is one of the most reliable forms of generation out there. As we're starting to see the second generation of trucks, um, you know, we have some Gen 2 trucks that we own that run in and out of the port of Long Beach today. Um, we're seeing Gen 2 trucks from large kind of name brand OEMs. Um, and what we're seeing is that these trucks are reliable. Um, that the Gen 1 trucks was, uh, they had their fits and starts. And as we get into the Gen 2 models of these trucks that they're gonna get better and better. I think ultimately what you're going to see is an incredibly reliable truck. I mean, we just have far less moving parts on these. The same goes for the chargers themselves. The first DC fast chargers um, had their share of problems. We're now into Gen 3s and 4s and 5s, um, and we're seeing um, much better reliability um, on all this stuff. And I think what we're also seeing is if we do have problems, we're able to fix them really, really quickly as well um, through some of the software that's being created out there that we're, we're partnering with folks on. So I think that you got to remember in, in terms of any technology adoption, there's Gen 1 and Gen 1 is always going to be Gen 1. Like the, the early adopters are always going to be you know, the guinea pigs as well. But we're, we're done with Gen 1. Um, we're getting into Gen 2. And in some cases, we're getting into Gen 3. And what's going to come out of that is going to be a more reliable, cleaner fleet um, than we have today in combustion trucks. Now, are you only looking at electric trucks or are you looking at hydrogen too? So um, we are only looking at electric for one specific reason. Um, 
This is a really capital intensive business. So Forum Mobility has raised about $425 million as a company in the last two years, um, with about 23 of that uh, at the corporate level. But we've also raised a $400 million infrastructure joint venture um, that was led by CBRE, um, their infrastructure fund and homecoming capital. There are, there are different pools of money for different reasons. Um, venture money is prepared to go from zero to 10x. And that's why venture is a great source of capital um, for a startup business, because it's prepared to go to zero. Infrastructure money will not go to zero. There is, there, the infrastructure money is deployed when you have downside protection. Downside protection um, means you have contracted revenue and you have proven technology that is going to be the basis for that revenue. Battery electric trucks use chemistry and batteries that have been widely deployed by many, many, many billions of dollars. They're made by name brands like Packard, Volvo, et cetera, um, the, the, the Kenworths, the Peterbilts, they're, they're all electric trucks. Um, and the chargers have really, really common ubiquitous technology built into them. And so from our standpoint, we can attract an immense amount of capital to do battery electric. Hydrogen, we are hopeful for in the future. And when we see it as a scalable um, business where we can raise a lot of capital and make that capital cheap, we would be excited to um, work hydrogen into the forum mobility network as well. But for now, we want to focus on battery electric because it exists. It fixes the problem today in drainage. We can put drainage trucks on the road today that are, they work, they make this duty cycle, um, and they are extremely financeable. And we can attract a lot of capital. And in this case, when you talk about drainage and those 30,000 trucks, we're talking about 25 plus billion dollars that needs to be put into California over the next 12 years. Um, the way you're going to attract that kind of capital is you do things that have some track record and are readily available. So battery electric is where we want to spend our time. And we're going to be looking at new technologies as they become more scalable and financeable as well. If you were to speculate, how far out do you think we are when it comes to hydrogen? I wouldn't speculate. I'd, you know, I'd be guessing, and I don't know enough about hydrogen um, to say that. Uh, um, I would say that, you know, I think that the battery technology is going to be really, really hard to beat in drainage. These trucks only go about 150, 200 miles a day. Um, I think that the hydrogen um, solution is going to be something that's going to really benefit over the road. But as far as what we want to do um, in these short trips, um, battery electric is uh, appears to have a great chance to be the winner. I'm going to switch gears here. You've been involved in some kind of renewable energy company industry for over 15, 16 years, and if I have my numbers correct, what first attracted you to the industry? Um, I, I can't explain it. I mean, I, it was, I, 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 solar was being done at the County of Sonoma. Um, my dad's friend was a project manager for the County of Sonoma. And he said, you should check this out, Matt. I know you're getting out of college um, and you want to do something um, in construction. If you're going to build something, this looks really cool. I went and saw it. I met the company. That company was called Powerlight. It became SunPower um, down the road. And it was the only thing I wanted to do. Um, it was, you know, I was, it was a compulsion, not unlike to start Forum Mobility, where I knew I had to get into it. Um, I, don't, I don't know why. Uh, it, was, um, it was the only thing I wanted to do. Once I saw a solar panel, 
Um, I knew that I could build things um, and I knew that that was what I wanted to build. Um, and the same thing happened at Forum Mobility and was fortunate enough to be in a position where I could actually help start the company. Um, but we were, we were compelled to, to, to do this as well. We knew it, it was inevitable that it was going to be a really big thing and we wanted to be a company in it, just like, just like when I saw that first solar panel 20 years ago. So we were chatting offline and you were telling me how Forum team members all have building in their DNA. Why do you think that's important when starting a company? Yeah, I mean, again, this is, this is going to be a lot of infrastructure. Um, there's going to be a lot of permits. There's going to be a lot of asphalt, a lot of conduit, a lot of wires terminated a lot of problems to fix operationally, um, operations and maintenance and, and, and asset management. Like this is stuff, right? This is, this is you know, wires and concrete and, and things you got to build. Um, and it's tens of billions of dollars of it. Um, and it's got to work. It's got to work like a data center works. It's got to work like a gas station works as well. Um, you know, when you pull your truck up to the pump, um, diesel comes out. And our facilities have got to be as reliable as that as well. Um, and for anybody who's ever built complicated stuff, like it helps. It helps to have some reps under your belt. It helps to um, know how to build a data acquisition system and um, make sure that you do a commissioning well. And so for us, you know, I think it's something that we think is different about the company, um, that we all have a background where we have We've done this with our own hands. We've we've, we've built businesses that do this. Um, you know, collectively, we have billions and billions of dollars of projects in construction under our belt as a team. Um, and I think that we just need to build really, really high quality infrastructure. Um, and as much as you want this to scale, like a software <laughs> scales, this is going to scale with with wire and conduit and concrete and asphalt and transformers. Um, and I think that our experience with with building that stuff is is something I hope is really different, um, and uh, it's going to translate into really well built, really well run, and really efficient facilities. So, you've been on this journey with Forum now, a little over two years, coming up to three. What are some of the most valuable lessons you've learned about yourself? Um, I think that you know coming to grips, you know, I, with being the CEO. Um, wasn't as simple as I think a lot of people think it is. Um, uh, you know, I think that I've always, I was always proud to be, you know, the, the right hand of somebody else um, for a long time. And uh, I think that, you know, it was a little bit nerve wracking. Um, you know, I think that people say this a lot and I'll say this openly. I mean, I think that, you know, anybody who's a first time CEO um, who says that they don't have some, level of imposter syndrome um, is probably BSing you a little bit. Uh, it's, it's a different, it's a different mindset. Um, it's something I wasn't, uh, I wasn't sure about to be frank, um, but I had to do it. Um, and it was the way it had to go. And I, I think that I've come to grips with the fact that I'm, I am good at it. I mean, I'm, there's a lot of soft spots for me in it and, and figuring out, um, how to be kind of everything and, and, and good at good at everything, um, if you will. But um, you know, raising money was something I'd never done. Um, you know, I'm proud of how much we've raised and the partners that we've we've we have in the business and our investors and how collaborative that that dynamic is with our investors. Um, I'm I'm proud of the team we've built. 
Um, but I think that it, you know, there's been plenty of nights where my wife has been a sounding board for me. Um, and, uh, and she's, you know, candidly, she's been a bigger believer than me than I was at the beginning. And I think I'm just coming to grips with the fact that I'm not too bad at this. You know, it's always incredible when I talk to CEOs, I've spoken to a couple of hundred now through this program and what you said about imposter syndrome, the idea of, you know, when you hear about being lonely on the top, it's not that people are alone. It's just that sometimes when they're trying to digest challenges, thoughts, ideas, it's really difficult to understand what a CEO is going through unless you've been through that yourself. Just the responsibility, the way I like to describe it, and I had my own company many years ago, I said every crevice of the brain that's not occupied by families occupied by your business. It's the best way to, I mean, you know, and it's one of those things that you know, when you, I remember, you know, when I was on a roof and if I heard a CEO saying, you know, it's a lonely job, I would have rolled my eyes and be like, come on, like, <laughs> um, but it is. And it's, 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 it, it's the best job in the world. Um, I'm, I'm really proud of it. Um, it is also just a lonely job. Like, you know, and it is to your point, I mean, you know, people, the safety of employees when they go to work, uh, the way our culture is being developed, um, the interpersonal relationships between groups and departments. And uh, there's just a lot like it's, it's, I think that your, your every crevice of your brain is, is very apt. And, you know, and I have a two and a half and a four year and a half year old um, son and daughter at home and uh, you know, separating those crevices and, and making sure that I, I, come home and give my kids their undivided attention and be a good dad um, while also being a good CEO. And, you know, kind of, it's complicated um, and it's hard, um, but you, it's a privilege. Too. You're, it's a, it's you're, a privilege I thought I'd never have. You're managing three startups. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so Matt, let's jump into the future. Let's say it's 10 years from now. So it's 2033 and Fast Company, Forbes, Wall Street Journal, Pick your publication were to write perhaps a headline or a short paragraph about forum mobility. What would you like it to read? I'd like to, I'd like it to read that forum mobility um, has developed the best run, most ubiquitous charging network for heavy duty trucks um, in the United States. Um, and that we, uh, we got ahead, we stayed ahead, and we did that by doing right by our customers and building good assets and operating them well. Um, and that we paced ourselves in the way uh, that you should. Um, we didn't get too far out of our uh, out over our skis, um, and we never fell and we never fell behind as well. And that um, we built this company steadily and in the right way, and that we have a customer base that's thrilled to work with us. You know, I want to underline that customer base for a minute because you touched on it briefly earlier in the conversation, how fragmented the market is. It's a mom and pop business for many, many years. And the research I've done for this conversation, I was frankly surprised at how many, you know, individual small operators there are, money pulled together to invest in buying a truck or two or three. And so I think from an employment perspective, from a community perspective, helping those individual operators or small businesses stay in business, convert to, you know, the new regulations. And like you said, continue to put more people through college and put roofs over people's heads is often an overlooked piece of what you're doing. Yeah. I mean, I've said this before. I mean, I did 
a lot of distributed generation before this. We, we, we had a couple billion dollars of assets in our distributed generation, Holdco, um, the, the group I led at NextEra. And if any one of those assets went down, it was a bummer, but it wasn't going to stop anything from happening. If the solar on the roof of the manufacturing facility went down, they lost the benefit of solar for that day. Um, we don't have that luxury in this business. If, if we don't run a good business, if we don't run assets, you know, Raj Daniels trucking, who gets into this truck in the morning, isn't going to have anywhere to go because his truck's not going to be charged. Um, and that's why I think, you know, the fact that we're builders, the fact that we've built good assets, that we've run good assets is, is really important here because um, there's going to be some small businesses that put their life in our hands in, in a way. And it's going to be reliant on us to help that keep moving. And, and candidly, like we, we don't make any of this stuff. Like, we go to Volvo, we go to Peterbilt, we go to Kenworth, we buy these things. We go to ABB chargers or Zorova chargers and we buy these things. Um, but it's going to be incumbent on us to deliver that solution so that people could go to work that day. Um, so our responsibility to those customers is to be an incredible operator and to do whatever we can within our power to make sure that these things are running. And if there is a problem, that we fix it and come up with a solution before the customer finds out. Um, things are going to happen, but it's how we respond to those and how we communicate to those and how we make sure that that person can still go out and make a living that day that's going to differentiate us from anybody else. I think, you know, in the secondary benefit that you touched on earlier, it's about you're also helping clean the air in the area, you know, that the port's in. Yeah. LAIST, um, L-A-I-S-T is a, a, a publication um, and they wrote an article about Wilmington, California. Um, and this, this blew my mind um, that Wilmington, California has a 98% higher rate of cancer than the broader LA basin. So not, not, not California, not the United States, but just the LA basin. And if anybody goes to Google Maps and they put in Wilmington, California, they're going to see it as the town that is immediately upwind from the ports of LA and Long Beach. Um, those ports move upwards of 40% of the containers that come into the United States come through that port complex there. Um, and so that's the environmental side of this business is that you know, those communities are entitled to a much better quality of life than they have. West Oakland has double the cancer or double the asthma risk um, than the uh, than the Bay Area, um, and that is the community directly adjacent to the Port of Oakland that has over seven thousand trucks a day coming in and out of it. So this is real; like it's 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 a it's a real meaningful impact. And if you're in those communities, um, you're pissed off, and for good reason. Um, and that's why this mandate is being focused on drainage is for those communities. Um, now we just got to wrestle with the other side of this is that, um, a lot of the folks that live in those communities are the ones driving these trucks and working for these companies. And how are we going to keep that? You know, how are we going to clean that community up while keeping that company, that community employed as well? Um, when it comes to the trucking side of it. Well, I appreciate all you're doing. My last question for you, let's direct it specifically for entrepreneurship. If you could share some advice or words of wisdom recommendations, what would it be? Um, I would just say, uh, ask, ask her out, ask him out, you know, metaphorically speaking, um, we, you have to take the leap. Like you, you have to go and you have to show up 
Um, and you have to do things that make you like take it from somebody who resisted looking at a financial model for a decade. Like you have to throw yourself into it. Um, you have to continue to throw yourself into it. Um, you have to get the meeting, you have to get the coffee, you have to, you have to do the work. Um, but really just like take, get your own insecurities, get your own ego out of the way. Um, because, you know, I think it's the only way to do it, right? You really just have to kind of, you know, ask her out if you will. Um, and I, I don't know if that's a, that's a great way I, I, you know, um, to think about it, but I, I do know that, you know, I wasted a lot of years, um, resisting things that made me uncomfortable. And it's one of those things like the minute you throw yourself into that thing, you know, there's a 99% chance that you're going to find out that it was a hell of a lot easier than you thought it was. Um, and uh, if you just you know went for it and asked the hard question or immersed yourself into it, you know you find out how capable you are. Um, but you know nobody's going to manage your career for you or your company for you. The only way you're going to do it is if you if you kind of just leap in. And I know that's pretty cliched advice, um, but I also know how long I resisted listening to that, and uh, I wish I had done it a little sooner. Well. You know, they're cliches for a reason. And I read recently, there is no winning without doing. Yeah, that's a good one. Yes. So, Matt, I really appreciate your time today. I wish you all the best with Forum Mobility. And I look forward to catching up with you again soon. Likewise, Raj. I appreciate you having me on. I appreciate you putting a, a light on Forum Mobility. We're really proud of what we're doing. Um, we're a really proud team. And, uh, you know, you you covering us and me is, is really helpful to the whole company. So thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening. If you like our show, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. And you can show your support by sharing our show with a friend or reach out to us on social media where you'll find us under our Nexus PMG handle. If there's a subject or topic you'd like to hear about, send me an email, btu at nexuspmg.com or contact me via our website, nexuspmg.com. And while you're there, you can sign up for our monthly newsletter where we share what we're reading and thinking about in the clean tech, green tech sectors. Bigger Than Us is a Nexus PMG production.